So I talked yesterday a little bit about um, crisis and, and sort of our role in crisis and, and how we approach and respond to crisis. And I talked about some points, and I won't belabor some of those things, but I'll, I'll get into a little bit of it. But before I do, that was sort of intended to be sort of a lead-in on what I was going to talk about tonight. And what I want to talk about is, is really my role here at the church and what I'm doing, what we're doing together as a team here and then as a network within this community and th- why the, re- the song God of the City was so appropriate because there's a movement of the Lord, we believe, in, in Northeast Columbia that, that we don't want to miss. We want to be a part of it. And so we've been working on some things to try and make sure that we're in a place to be a part of that. And a lot of that is part of the reason I'm, I'm here. So been here a little while now, and we just felt like it was time to share with you kind of why I'm here. So, uh, But before I do that, I think it's important to share a little bit of my story. I've done it um, part of it once before here, but uh, just kind of this is going to be the Reader's Digest version. Usually when I share my story, Julie's with us because a lot of it is hearsay for me. So she's with me to keep me straight as to exactly what happened when it did. So if I miss something, I'll come back to you next week or sometime and say, hey, this, <laughs> this date was wrong or right or whatever. So she's watching at home and she'll correct me. So a little bit of my story before I graduated from high school right over in Camden. Um, in spite of my role as the president of the Methodist Youth Group, um, had developed pretty much an every weekend habit of drinking to excess. And uh, during the week when I could sort of get away with it. Um, I'd grown up in a house where, for my dad, who was career law enforcement, military prior to that, um, nothing I did was good enough. Uh, it was always something I could have done better or something I could have done more of. But for my mom, I could do no wrong. So I was in this really weird place, uh, an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. So that's, a, that's kind of a crazy place to be and you know, not blaming people or situations, but that kind of led me to, to seek affirmation and seek acceptance and approval and all kinds of other stuff, and that manifested early in, in alcohol and then would go on to be other substances and other things in lifestyles, so I uh, won't go too deep into that, but uh, it, it just it evolved uh, or devolved, either way you look at it. Um, so I had developed that habit pretty much. Um, I had this image of God in my head of a God who had the same attributes as my earthly father. If I couldn't be good enough for him, how could I ever be good enough for him? If he didn't have time for me, he surely didn't have time for me. Or he loved me because he's supposed to, right? He's God, but he probably didn't like me a whole lot. So that's this image that I had of God. I took my dad's attributes and put them on him, and I ran with that and from God for a long time. After coming through high school relatively unscarred by education, I went to the Citadel down in Charleston. Um, after two and a half years, we decided, I always say it that way, I said, we decided that it's probably best I come back to Camden. What happened was they told me I had to leave school to come back to Camden. Um, it wasn't a mutual agreement. Um, I had actually spent more time at the College of Charleston majoring in beer and girls than I did on campus where I was enrolled. So I ended up back in Camden, sort of with my tail tucked between my legs. Um, again, Dad had been in law enforcement. I grew up around it. That's, that's what I knew. I was doing, Dad was head of the SWAT team and all this stuff. So I was doing this cool stuff as a young teenager with these really cool guys who, who worked really hard, 
but they also played really hard. Now, my dad did not drink or do any of that, but these other guys did. They were sort of my big brothers. They were the ones I looked up to. So I said, you know what? I've watched that. I can be good at that, so I'm going to do that. So I decided to go into law enforcement. So I applied, was accepted, and went through the law enforcement academy, became a state trooper here in South Carolina. And for about six months, I was the youngest law or commissioned law enforcement officer in the state. In Myrtle Beach, a 21-year-old with an already out-of-control ego and budding alcohol problem, not a good combination or a good place to be um, had it not been for uh, somebody that I had met before I went to the academy. I'd have probably stayed down there, and it would have probably killed me, quite honestly. Um, that person I met at a friend's party before I went off to the academy, I spotted the prettiest girl in the room and uh, asked her out a couple of days later and took her hostage from there. Um, we spent every day together, and now, by God's grace, and her seeing something in me that uh, I wouldn't or couldn't, um, we've been together. I've held her hostage for 30 years. So, <laughs> um, that's, and that is, that is a testament to the grace of God. So, um, she's, uh, I, I hope that she's okay with being a hostage by now thought that when I got married and all of that, things would slow down. Um, we came back to Camden, thought that I would slow down. They got, actually got worse. Um, Kelly, our oldest, was born. Thought, surely things will get better. And I know that Julie thought, surely things will get better. I got worse. For the first two weeks of Kelly's life, I, I was off on a binge while Julie and Kelly stayed at, at her mom's house. Um, things got worse. And uh, a friend of mine said, there's no such thing as worser. There is. It got worse and worser. Um, I continued to just uh, seek all of those things, acceptance, approval, affirmation, and all kinds of things except what I should have been. Uh, in 2001, having come to a place of I did not want to live anymore, I didn't want to be here, I had picked the, the bridge abutment I was going to run into, but I was too chicken to do it. I uh, had the bullet that I was going to use was to, it was, I, I, honestly, I was afraid I was going to screw that up too. I was afraid that I wouldn't finish the job and I'd screw it up. Um, so I begged God to, to either help me or to, to kill me, and I fully expected to wake up dead. Um, I had, again, run from him a long way, so I prayed to whatever God was out there. And I'd prayed many times, don't let me wake up in the morning, and every morning he'd, he'd wake me up, and I'd curse him because he woke me up, woke me up another day. Um, but some, uh, through a series of events and some different things happening, um, God tweaked my heart, and, and he, he kind of caused me to ask myself, is this the legacy you want to leave? Caused me to take sort of inventory of my life and where I was, um, and I cried out to him. I, I'd, I'd never honestly, sincerely done that, and I cried out to him. Um, he reached down and pulled me out of the pit that I dug. He met me where I was. He loved me as I was. And he told me that I didn't have to run as far back to him as I'd run away. That today is my definition of grace, that I didn't have to run as far back to him as I'd run away. Because I didn't have the ability. I didn't have the will. I didn't have the strength. didn't have the knowledge to run back to him. Uh, one of my favorite definitions of recovery or restoration is to return something to a state of usefulness. I'd become pretty useless. The week after I got home from treatment, we found out that Julie was pregnant again. When that baby was born, we named her Karis, which is Greek for God's gift of grace and love. It also speaks to his perfect timing. See, he knew before then I would not have been able to 
be of use for Karis. But in his perfect timing, she was born in November, named her Karis, and she'll be 19 this coming November. She's never seen her daddy under the influence of any substance at all. That's, that's beginning to be retained. Thank you. That's, that's God. That is not, uh, that's not me. That's being returned to somewhat a state of usefulness. Even further, have had the privilege of baptizing Julie, Kelly, and Karis as they came into a saving relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but for the grace of God. Give you a quick timeline. In 2008, I'd gotten out of law enforcement, was, doing, was traveling around doing security, uh, bank security work. We were living down in Somerville, 2008. We moved back to Camden, got involved in a church plant there. We were there for almost 10 years. Um, 2010, I started uh, Celebrate Recovery Group there in Camden. Later became a state rep. 2011, uh, went to the Providence home as program director and, and was there until just the beginning of this year, um, sharing with men uh, in transition, dealing with substance abuse issues. In 2012, Julie was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, had a double mastectomy and then the, everything following that. Um, in that time, first off, but for the grace of God, we were at a place that we were able to deal with, with that situation. Um, but it, it was still crisis nonetheless, and we, we came through that. And, and gosh, just to watch, watch God work in that and see him glorified in so many things. Uh, a couple of our favorite passages had always been Jeremiah 29, 11 and Romans 8, 28. So coming through that, what we realized was that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to the purpose that he knows he has for us, a purpose and a plan for good, not to harm us. God was glorified in that. There were some parallels for us in Julie's sickness and my addiction. Now, I will never say that they were equal in that I chose to do those things and, and Julie did not, nor would she have chosen one of the parallels, though, was Julie would have given anything she could to, for me to be better, as I would have given anything that I had for her to be better. I wanted desperately to fix her. She wanted desperately for me to change. Neither of us had the ability to fix or change the other. And ultimately, it was only God, the great healer, that was able to do the work in both of us, through other people, through surgeons, through sponsors through whatever to bring us back to healed and uh and right ultimately right relationship with him and he was glorified in that in 2015 i was um i was ordained <clears throat> 2018 we uh started over at seacoast we uh helped start a celebrate recovery group there then been here since march or april ish of last year um just before easter and then march ish of this year actually came on staff as pastor of missions and uh, outreach. So that brings us to now and the opportunity uh, to share a little bit about what that looks like, what my role is here. Um, as Pastor Brennan and I, Pastor Bobby and I have sought uh, the Lord for direction and we pray for exactly what the focus is here. Um, I think it can be summed up by saying that we want to care for people in crisis. Uh, that, that covers a whole lot of things, but that really does um, speak exactly to what we want to do. Acts 20, 24 has always been a key verse for me because I believe the Lord has specifically given me a ministry based on my life experiences and my personal experience of Jesus as a Savior. 
Acts 20, 24 says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If I'm able to do that, that's usefulness. I also think that Micah 6, 8 is a pretty good directive when we want to know how to go about doing what he's called us to do. He's told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I talked yesterday during the devotional about crisis and caring for people in crisis. Um, a few things in there if you didn't hear, so I wasn't going to, hadn't planned to do this, but there are two principles there that I think we miss in Scripture. One is that there's an equation. It starts with trials, and it ends with hope. In the middle, there's character and steadfastness and endurance and faithfulness, all these things, but the constants are trial, or we'll call it crisis, and the outcome, which is hope. And I think we miss that. Trials are guaranteed. If we go through that process, hope is also guaranteed. And I, I think we... I think we miss that a lot of times. The other is, so that. It's two little words that are extremely powerful. And I think we miss how powerful they are. We are shown grace so that we can show others grace. We are loved so that we can love others. We've been forgiven so that we can forgive others. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says we are comforted in our affliction so that we can comfort others. So that. Two extremely powerful words. And what I talked about yesterday, it's as if I'm putting in a period or an exclamation point where God's putting a comma or dot, dot, dot. I want the statement to end, but God says, wait, there's more. Not in an infomercial kind of way, but I want it. You're giving grace. I want it to stop there, right? We don't want to be you know, we don't want to go outside of our comfort zone. We don't want to be inconvenienced or whatever it is. So we want it to stop. And God says, no, I've got more. I used this example yesterday, and it's kind of, it's kind of silly, so y'all just bear with me. Imagine that I've got like a cartoon, okay? I've got a, speak, a text bubble over my head. So I tell you, I say, hey, friend, we've, we've been doing pretty good lately. You've been doing really good. We've been through a lot of things. I'm going to give you a million dollars. Now, in my bubble, you see dot, dot, dot. And you're thinking, I really wish he wouldn't say anything else. I wish he would stop at the million dollar. But there's something else coming. I'm going to give you a million dollars so that you can give it to somebody else. Again, you're thinking, man, I wish you'd have stopped. <laughs> now I'm out a million bucks, right? Well, actually, you're not out a million bucks because it was never yours to begin with. You were merely a pass-through. You were a conduit for a million bucks to bless whoever that was. And now all you've got left, here's that analogy is going to break down, and ultimately here's where it does. Um, we've still got each other. We've got our experience. Y'all are stuck with me. But when we pass on grace, when we love, do we get more grace and more grace and more grace? We get more Jesus and more Jesus and more Jesus which is so much more than a million bucks in time with me, right? Grace on top of grace and more Jesus. And when we screw it up, not if, but when we screw it up, we still get more grace and more Jesus. Caring for people in crisis. <clears throat> I've got this written on my board over there. 
I won't go through all of it, but I think it kind of sums up as sort of a mission statement. We meet our neighbors in crisis where they are. We love them as they are and walk with them through the crisis. In this, we create environments where hurting people can find the help, hope, and home that they're so desperately seeking. We act justly, we love kindness, and we walk humbly. So I want to back up a little bit. You guys see it every, every Wednesday you come in, every Sunday you come in. We've got core values here that, that uh, we, we, they're pretty obvious because they're on a wall <laughs> that you see every time you come in here. Our goal is to make disciples of Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? First, we exalt. We desire to exalt our God and lift him up in all that we do through worship and prayer. Next, we equip. We aim to equip each other through the study <clears throat> excuse me, of God's word, discipleship, and prayer. And then third, we engage. We make it our goal to engage the community around us with the love of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 the end of the passage, the whole passage is putting on the whole armor of God. The end of that passage says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, <clears throat> that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. When I read that, I'm reminded of a passage in Acts 4. Peter and John are sharing the gospel. They're sharing the good news and they're, they're bold and, and they're approached and, and they, they've been, they're, they're arrested at some point and they're being mocked and they're all, all this stuff. But Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were bold and it was recognizable that they had been with Jesus. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. <clears throat> Those three core values that you see there, I've had them phrased a couple of other ways. Exalt could be said, be with Jesus. Spend time in his presence. Equip is to be like Jesus or our spiritual formation. And then engage. And this is... The, the world that I'm playing in, this is the field that I'm playing on, this is what we're talking about when it comes to my role. Engage means to do what Jesus did, is to be on mission. That is the umbrella for all that we do. Making disciples, proclaiming the gospel boldly while loving and serving people like Jesus did. But it all starts with his presence. Time in Jesus' presence equips us to be present for others. So I want you to, if you've got a notepad, you can write it down, but uh, it's, um, we're going to do a little drawing exercise. Y'all don't want me to draw it for you, because it's ev even just little circles. Y'all don't want me to do it for you. So I want you to draw a circle about the size of a quarter, 50 cent piece or so, and in the middle of it, write presence. Next, draw a little bit bigger circle, leaving your room to write a couple of words in there, and I want you to write pace and place. So the first circle has presence, second has pace in place. Now another circle a little bit bigger. Power and patience. And then last circle, a little bit bigger, plan and purpose. All of those things start with Jesus' presence. Spend time in present, in his presence. And when we do, he'll show us his pace and his place. When does he want us to do it? Where does he want us to do it? 
As we learn that, we are equipped with his power, which is made perfect in our weakness, and his patience with us as a testament to others. And then finally, we learn his plan and his purpose. Do you realize, Christian, that you are part of God's master plan? I mean, how, how useful is that to be part, to be called into, to be invited by the creator of the universe into his work of making all things new? That's being useful. That's, that is a state of usefulness like no other. I believe he's called us and is calling us here at Calvary Chapel Northeast to be a refuge in this community. He's tasked us with being a beacon of light in a dark world and the usefulness of salt in an unseasoned and bland culture. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, the youth are having their salt and light conference next weekend. We're going to have, or two weekend, whatever it is, we're going to talk about salt and light this fall. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When it's not useful, it's not good for anything. It's useless. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I believe that it's part of his purpose and his plan for us here at Calvary Chapel, Northeast Columbia, to be a center for recovery, restoration, reconciliation, and renewal. We sang the song, God of the City. Again, I believe that he's on the move. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. There is another principle I want to talk about just real quickly, and it's, it's become pretty popular in what some call our post-Christian culture. Um, it's this idea of wanting to do good things, even moral things, but only up to a point until it means having to believe certain things or do other things. If it means us doing hard work or messy work, we'd rather probably not do it. If it means believing certain things, if it means maybe believing that we're created beings, you know, it may, that, that desire to do certain things kind of wanes. In other words, we're in a culture where people want the kingdom without the king. Want the benefits of Jesus without actually having to follow Jesus. And you see that so much in, in our culture when people are, are running to, whether it's protests or, or rallies or speaking up for what, what appears to be good, but it's only to be a, uh, to be a part of something that benefits maybe them or worse um, maybe we just want to post on social media that we're part of a movement or something uh, maybe we want to share on Instagram that we made a donation at the food bank or we helped somebody out but we're really not willing to get our hands dirty especially if nobody's going to see us do it <clears throat> it's easy to fall into a trap of doing things even good things for affirmation or approval that comes with it. I'm a, I am a professed affirmation junkie. I love for people to 
say, hey, you did a great job. And I think that comes from growing up in a place where I didn't hear that a lot. But I have to be, I have to, I'm just being transparent with you, I have to be vigilant and say, am I doing this, this thing for those reasons? Or am I doing it because Jesus said, I love you so that you can go love others. I've shown you grace so that you can go show others. <clears throat> I go back to the idea of spending time in Jesus' presence. I think that's the antidote for doing things for our own promotion. When we spend time in Jesus' presence, that's the foundation for all we do. Martha wasn't doing bad things, but Jesus pointed out that Mary was doing what was most important, and that was time at his feet. <clears throat> I've always loved Isaiah 58, and it kind of speaks to, to that. It's, it's a little bit long, but I do want to share it with you. Um, it's like the first 13 uh, verses in chapter 58. And then what's happening is people are fasting and they're doing all these things. They say they're calling on the name of the Lord, but, but really it's kind of this doing it. We're doing these things. Hey, where, where's our blessing sort of, sort of thing? So cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Pause for a second. I, uh, the most humble man in the room doesn't tell you how humble he is, right? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I want us to be known as people whose light breaks forth like the dawn. A people who... Uh, who are like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. It's to build up the ancient ruins and be repairs of the breach. I think there are breaches in our community 
that we are very uniquely positioned to stand in those gaps. I'll talk about a couple of those here shortly. As we talk about what now does this look like practically for us at Calvary Chapel Northeast. So I'm going to go through sort of this list of of some things that we've got going on, and I'll go pretty quickly because I don't want to keep you guys here all night. We're developing what we're calling gospel partnerships, and these are people that we're, we're partnering with to go and proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of those look like and are um, I'm having ongoing, almost daily conversations with law enforcement and first responders about coming alongside them, praying with and for them, and reaching the community together. I believe that there's a gap between law enforcement and the community. I believe there's a gap between the faith community and law enforcement, and the faith community ought to be the one that's able to stand in the gap and fill the gap between law enforcement and the community, if that makes any sense. My background in law enforcement draws me to that. Having ongoing conversations with African-American pastors in the community about how we can work together for unity and reconciliation. We've been invited to, as a church, to help lead this prayer initiative that meets on Saturdays at the, the library here. When that group's meeting, there are 11 other groups across the city that are meeting. We've been asked to be a part of leading that beyond the city throughout the state. There's a huge desire on my part to develop and build or establish a recovery transition home in the Northeast. It was one of the things we talked about very seriously at the beginning, but now COVID and everything else has kind of put that on hold. But I I believe that very soon, We'll start work on that here in Northeast Columbia. Um, Until then, we continue to serve meals at Providence Home, Hannah House, and House of Peace, which are all transitional housing facilities for men and women. And once this pandemic's passed us, these places will offer outreach and discipleship opportunities at all three for men and women to be a part of the lives of those folks in transition. And aside to that, if y'all know Big Mike that's come on Sunday mornings, um, he was the cook at Providence Home. He's now the program director at Providence Home. So he's, been, he's uh, come on staff full-time there. And, uh, and that's a great blessing for him and, and for Providence Home. So I just wanted to share that. We're doing the blood drives, established blood drive. We'll do a blood drive every other month until there's not a need for blood, which I'm assuming that's not going to happen before Jesus comes back. Um, we continue in our partnership with Lighthouse for Life and Daybreak Ministries. We'll be doing a missions day later in the year where we'll highlight some of these partnerships and we'll have those folks here to share with you guys some of what they do. Um, Starting next week, we'll be doing some highlight videos, just some Q&A with some of these other um, gospel partnerships just to share with you what's going on there. Um, When and if school starts back, we're partnering with Spring Valley High School. The backpack program, I don't know if you're familiar with it, where kids wouldn't have meals for the weekend. Um, we're We're partnering with Spring Valley High School to provide backpacks for kids that would not have meals over the weekend um, once school starts back. One of the newest partnerships, met with them today actually, um, is Ezekiel Ministries. Ezekiel Ministries sort of absorbed big brothers and big sisters. So they're a mentoring after school program for at risk and vulnerable kids in the community. Right now they've identified almost 100 kids within a five to 10 minute radius of us that not only need, but have asked for mentors. We need to step into that gap. So we've got an opportunity to be a mentor to those kids. If you're interested in being a part of that, um, 
we're going to have an orientation sort of interest meeting as early as next Thursday evening. So if you're interested, just get with me afterwards or sometime during the week. We're, we're moving forward with that. We, we need to, to step into the lives of these kids. So see me if you're interested in that. Of course, we'll continue our relationship with 10th Hour, Uganda Kids Project, and Far Reaching Ministries. And uh, we're just waiting for things to open back up for, uh, for us to go and serve in Puerto Rico. So uh, a lot going on, and, and just kind of wanted to share all of those things with you um, as, as ongoing um, efforts and, and opportunities. But now I want to bring it back to us here and our need to love and care for each other well. We're all struggling on some level. We've all got stuff going on. Even in the best of circumstances, we're either coming out of a crisis, we're in the middle of a crisis, or we're about to come into another crisis. In the worst of circumstances like we have now, we're all in crisis mode. <clears throat> We've all got struggles. Some of those struggles are, are more obvious. They're more upfront, whether it be addiction or, or whatever else. But we've all got struggles. So, Monday the 27th at 6.30, we're launching what we're calling Restore Groups here at the church. That'll be a every other week meeting for folks who are just struggling. It's going to be a place for, for you to, where it's okay to not be okay. Whether it be a struggle with addiction, whether it be a, a, a mental health issue, whether it be a, a loved one issue, whatever it is, we want it to be a safe place for you to come and, uh, and be restored, be a part of restoration. <clears throat> you can call it a recovery group or whatever. We're calling it restore group. Because the principles, it doesn't matter. People hear recovery and they automatically think drug and alcohol, right? We're calling it restore because it's so much more. The principles that we apply are applicable for everything, whatever it is we're struggling with. I'll be honest and tell you that during these times with the pandemic and all, my, my anxiety has been worse, my depression's heightened, and, I, and I've recognized it. It's the principles of restoration that have helped me navigate that. We'll have these published for you somewhere. And of course, if, you're, if you come and are part of that group, we'll have them for you. But I just want to share those restoration principles with you real quick. Um, and then we'll close. So it's an acrostic for the word restore. The first R is for rest and reflection. This principle focuses on taking the time to slow down, to rest and reflect on the life issue or circumstance or difficult season you're facing. Through rest and reflection, we gain new insights and perspectives that help foster honesty, admission, responsibility, and a right attitude as we begin our journey toward life restoration. The passive passage of scripture that uh, is tied to that one, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And uh, I want to read from you, or for you from the message translation of Matthew eleven twenty eight and following. <clears throat> Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. That, just in and of itself, 
is a great place to start while we're dealing with this issue, these issues that we're dealing with. Rest, get away with Jesus, spend time in his presence. He'll show you how to recover your life. The E is for eternal perspective. I know where my recovery and my restoration comes from. It comes from a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that he is the way of escape. That eternal perspective. This principle focuses on developing an eternal perspective toward the life issue or circumstance or difficult season. When we begin to understand who God is and when we accept and stand on the promises and truths found in God's word, we are empowered to walk forward with confidence and hope in our restoration journey. The S is for support. This focuses on having the humility and strength to ask for help and support as we continue on the path toward life restoration. We're never meant to do life alone. Hope, joy, and peace come when we humble ourselves before God, fully surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, and invite others to come alongside us to help us in our journey. The T is thanksgiving and commitment. This principle focuses on being thankful and content with God's blessings so that we remove any obstacles that may prevent us from being good stewards of those blessings. Thankfulness and contentment bring us joy and peace as we continue this journey of restoration and grow in our relationship with Jesus. The O is other-centeredness. We all have a tendency to be self-centered, particularly in difficult seasons of life. This restoration principle focuses on exhibiting the love of Jesus to family, friends, co-workers, and others in need, letting go of selfish desires and earthly security, and choosing instead to focus on others and the truth of God's word bring us freedom and joy. The R is relationships. <clears throat> Focusing on restoring relationships, resolving relational conflicts, and accepting forgiveness from those we may have wronged or giving forgiveness to those who may have wronged us. Life restoration comes through living in community and right relationship with others so that we may encourage one another, serve one another, keep one another accountable, and experience the harmony and reward of restored relationships. And then finding, finally, exercise of faith. This principle focuses on exercising and living out our faith through service to others. This includes trusting God, applying scripture in our everyday life, helping other Christians grow in their faith, and sharing the good news of the gospel with those who may not know Jesus. Lasting life restoration is found and sustained when we're able to share our restoration story and the hope, joy, and peace we found in God's word and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's exalt, equip, engage. That is... Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, do what Jesus did. That's presence, formation, mission. So the 27th, 6.30 here at the church, anybody who's interested, this is kind of a, an interest meeting. It'll be our first time together, just a little overview of what we'll do. Um, ask you to be in prayer for me as, as we look at something else. I want to start a, a restore group for first responders and law enforcement. I know firsthand that there is a huge issue with all of the things that, you know, you think about, whether it be uh, addiction, whether it be divorce, whether it be anger, um, depression, anxiety, suicide, all of these things. There's a huge issue, and that's just every day is becoming more and more um, heightened. So uh, those, those folks need a place where it's safe for them to come and share that, hey, I'm struggling with something, and, and their confidentiality is, is assured, their anonymity is assured. So um, just pray, I'd, I'd ask that you pray um, for that, that, that there would be an opportunity um, there. So with all of those things, if anybody wants to talk afterwards, we can talk, uh, talk a little bit more. I want to close with this. Um, 
Matthew 14 tells the story of the disciples in the boat in the storm, and Jesus walks out to them. There are a couple of points that I want to make. Everybody knows that, that passage. The first point is that Jesus very easily could have stood on the shore and calmed the seas and calmed the winds. He did it in another place. He said, peace, be still. But instead of doing that, he went to them. He met them where they were. The reality is he was more concerned about the men in the storm than he was about the storm itself. Don't get me wrong, Jesus cares about our circumstances, but he's more concerned with the condition of our hearts. We're going to experience trial and crisis and struggle, but we have Jesus who's bigger than any of our storms and has already overcome the trials of this world. When he stepped onto the water, he made it clear that he was more concerned about the men in the boat than he was the storm around the boat. <clears throat> Second point, when Jesus steps in the boat and then calms the seas and the wind, he didn't calm it first. He was in the boat and then calmed the seas. The only appropriate response of the disciples at that point was to worship him because he met them where they were in the middle of the storm and calmed the seas around him. They worshiped him. When he meets us in the middle of our storms and we finally get a glimpse of hope, there's only one appropriate response for us. That's to worship him and then go boldly and proclaim the good news in a way that people know that we've spent time with Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that, uh, that you have overcome the storms of this life. You've overcome the trials that, uh, that were guaranteed. Um, or we're guaranteed trials, but we, uh, we're also guaranteed hope. Um, and that, that, Lord, that we're just so, so grateful for that. Lord, I'm grateful that, that your word tells us that you're faithful, that you'll not let us be tempted beyond our ability, but with every temptation, you'll provide the way of escape that we'd be able to endure it. And we know, Lord, that that way of escape is personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, in all we do, we just pray that we would seek you, that we would seek time in your presence, that we would seek time at your feet, um, Lord, allow you to teach us these unforced rhythms of grace. Lord, give us rest that we would reflect on the things that, uh, that we're struggling with, Lord. Pray that we would have an eternal perspective on the, the solution that, again, that you are our way of escape, Lord. The support that we would be humble enough to ask for help when we need it, Lord. Lord, for thanksgiving and contentment, Lord, that we would know that you're at work and we would be grateful for that, Lord. Pray that we would accept and enjoy that thanksgiving so that, the, oh, the other-centeredness, Lord, that we would think less of ourselves and count others as more significant, Lord. And then our relationships, Lord, we, we surrender those to you. And Lord, empower us, equip us in your presence, through your pace, your place, your power, and your patience for your purpose and your plan, Lord, that we would uh, exercise that faith, that we would engage, that we would be salt and light, Lord, that we'd be just a beacon of hope in a dark, dark world. Lord, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. 
For more info or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.